If you would, this morning, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 through 8. We have a unique opportunity this morning. It's kind of an open Sunday on our schedule. Next week we begin local evangelism month. And so I wanted to take this unique opportunity, which I mentioned the last couple of weeks, to encourage us as a church. I thought it'd be just a good time to talk as a family of believers here at First Baptist in St. John's and just to share with us as a church, to encourage us as a church that we need to be servants of the Lord and to encourage us as a church that we need to be even more welcoming and even more friendly as a church. And so the passage that I have chosen this morning to do this is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And in this, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Rome, and this is what he says to them. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Notice the action verbs there. Where to do this is unto the Lord. And if there's one phrase that I want you to remember and take with you when you leave, it is the first part of verse 6 where it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. We have been given gifts not just to hoard them for ourselves, but to use them. Our first point this morning is understanding God's mercy. Everything that Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 is a direct result of what he wrote in chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans is the great explanation of the gospel. It is a great explanation of what it means to be saved. Paul tells us in those first 11 chapters that we deserve We deserve eternal judgment and the punishment of God for our sins. But through the finished work of Christ's death and resurrection, we have been showered. We have been literally showered with mercy and grace. We have stood before the judge of all the earth, of all the universe, and we have been found guilty, but Jesus Christ came and took our place. And through him, we have complete forgiveness. And through him, We have been reconciled to God, and through Christ we have been showered with grace and mercy. 
in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, it causes Paul to just burst out and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Based on everything said in the first 11 chapters, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, based on what I've just said, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, because he has showered us with his mercy and kindness, present your bodies, present your lives as living sacrifices. And everything else that I'm going to share with you this morning is based on that. The mercy and kindness of God is our motivation for serving Christ and for serving others in his name. We are to be the people that say, oh, I deserve the wrath of God, but instead I am pure and clean in his sight through Christ. Oh, his grace, oh, his mercy. Verse three says, for by the grace given to me, notice that, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each one according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We are to think of ourselves with sober judgment. That doesn't mean we are to think of ourselves as lowly and worthless. It doesn't mean that at all. But we are to think of ourselves as we really are. We have been forgiven. We don't deserve anything except God's punishment. But we are the men and women, the boys and girls of grace, of the mercy of God. Therefore, whatever we do, let us do it in humility. Humility is the mark of the Christian who understands God's mercy. He or she understands. I have received the grace of God. I am so thankful. I am so grateful. Let me serve him. Let me honor him. And the key to biblical humility is to get our eyes off of ourselves and to focus on Christ and to treasure Christ. The very thing that Trish sang about this morning, that's what we need to do. We need to treasure Christ more than life itself. And so everything, everything in life for the Christian is based on a mercy-saturated, Christ-exalting mindset. That's what God wants us to have. And that brings us to our second point, which is the heart and soul of this message. And that is two major areas of encouragement. This message is not in meant in any way to scold anyone, but to encourage us together as the family of God in this specific location. First of all, I want to say to all of us, let us encourage one another to be servants of Christ, serving as part of his church, using the spiritual gifts that he has given us. In verses four and five, he says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, or therefore we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members, one of another. 
Paul likes this illustration. He uses it a couple of times in the New Testament that we are like a human body. Our human bodies have different parts, but those parts all work together and we form one body. Our body just naturally functions all together, whether it's feet or hands or legs or stomach or whatever it may be. It all works together. And that's what he is saying in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different personalities. Sometimes we have different parts, or excuse me, different viewpoints, but we are one. We are the body of Christ. We are the picture of the body of Christ here on earth in our local church. So in verses 6 through 8, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Then he names seven of them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now prophecy used here does not mean foretelling the future. It means rather a person who has the gift of loving the truth of God of loving the revealed will of God. This person says, hey, let us stand for the truth. And really, that was the main job of the Old Testament prophets. They would say, thus saith the Lord. And they would stand for the truth of God. In verse 7 he says, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes talking about contributing financially. Some people just love to give. Do it in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so he is saying that God gives us different spiritual gifts. Now this is not a message on spiritual gifts. A number of years ago I did an entire series on the Holy Spirit and did two entire messages on spiritual gifts. It's a rich and wonderful subject. That's not my point this morning, but rather just to say that here in Romans 12 and at least two other places, spiritual gifts are mentioned in the New Testament. And I just want you to know that we have to be careful when we see these lists of spiritual gifts that we don't put them in compact categories. You either have this or you have that, or you either have this or you might have that. Rather, I want you to think of spiritual gifts as that we may have more than one spiritual gift and we may have a mixture of spiritual gifts. And I think sometimes Bible teachers take spiritual gifts beyond the Bible and put them in these neat um, kind of compartments that really aren't found in Scripture. John Piper has a wonderful comment on this. He says, the main observation I want to make, speaking specifically about verses 6 through 8, the main observation I want to make here is that these gifts overlap with each other and even include each other, and therefore are not mutually exclusive or even rigidly defined. Paul does not intend to give us tightly distinguishable categories. The implication of this is that in seeking to use spiritual gifts, we should not think mechanically as if there is a set number or that they have fixed boundaries or that they come in separate packages so that if you have one, you can't have the other or that they come, in, or that they come complete and in no varying proportions or mixtures. 
don't think like that. Now that may be different than what some of you have heard from other teachers in the past, but we can have more than one gift, we can have a mixture of gifts. The question I often get is, how do I know my spiritual gift or gifts? And I give the same answer. There are three things that I encourage people to do to discover their spiritual gifts. This is not new with me. I have taken it from other teachers, but I share it with you. First of all, just get involved. Just get involved in ministry. And I think you will begin to recognize what your spiritual gifts are. Second, do what you enjoy and are passionate about. Now, when I say do what you enjoy, that doesn't mean that using your spiritual gift that you're always going to be so full of joy that you'll be bouncing off the walls and swinging from the chandeliers. I don't mean that. What I mean is that you're passionate about it. It's something you want to be involved in, and that's where you will really discover your spiritual gifts. And then third, and this is important, seek the counsel of those who know you best. Could be your spouse, but go beyond your spouse and really seek the counsel of others. For example, let's say that you think, I wonder if I'm a teacher. And you start teaching and you find that you hate preparing. It's just not you. And when you teach, those close to you say, eh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that's your gift. That's okay. That helps you to understand that that's not your gift and your gift's somewhere else. Or let's say that you're just one of those people who says, you know, I like to speak my mind. And I like to tell it like it is. I don't, I don't care what other people think. I think it's pretty safe to say you don't have the gift of mercy. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, some people kind of have that attitude. You are probably not the one that we're going to send on to someone to be merciful <laughs> with them. But people can help you. You're, those who know you best can help you to find your spiritual gifts. But the main point of this message is this. We are to use our spiritual gifts to serve Christ by serving others. That's the main point of this whole message. We are to use them. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And I want all of us to ask ourselves a question this morning. Every person here, where am I serving right now as part of this church? If you were to write down on a piece of paper, where are you serving, what would you write down? I want to encourage all of us to be involved in some of the ministries of this church. The last two Sundays, we had a whole list of opportunities to serve at First Baptist Church. Some of those positions are filled, at least for right now, and some of them are not, but we want to give you a big picture of all the opportunities to serve at First Baptist Church. And out in the foyer, right above the, the sign-up sheets, there's some folded inserts still out there if you want one of those to see what those opportunities are. One of the things I often encourage people to do is to consider having a major and minor ministry involvement. Now, by major and minor, I do not mean important and unimportant. What I mean by that is one where maybe you have a lot of preparation and at least one other where it doesn't take a lot of prep work. For example, you may be a Sunday school teacher or small group leader or some kind of Bible study leader that takes a lot of preparation. And maybe in addition to that, you could work in the nursery or you could be a helper or a listener in Awana, which 
wouldn't take a lot of prep time. Or let's say that you're involved in the music ministry and you put a lot of time and preparation into your music and then have a minor ministry. Maybe you can do uh, something that doesn't take a lot of prep work, prep work over at the Beacon of Hope. But the main point is let us be involved. And along this line, I just want to say two things this morning. For those of us who are older, and I am in this category, there is a phrase that I am very lovingly going to ask you to try not to use. And that phrase is this, I've done my time. Okay? Try not, when someone approaches you about a ministry, try not to say, I've done my time. Sometimes, and I know we don't mean it this way, but it kind of comes along like, I finished my prison sentence, and so uh, I'm not going back there. I was, I was assigned 15 years in the nursery. No way I'm going back there. Or I did my 12 years of, of Awana, and I'm not doing anything like that again. No, biblically, we've never done our time, Okay. We're supposed to serve until we are either mentally or physically unable to do so. So don't use that phrase. Be open to God using you. And then, secondly, I just want to say again very lovingly, and this is especially for people like me who may have gifts in the area of teaching and leading. But I say it to all of us. Never think that you're too good for any ministry in the church. Sometimes when we have gifts in the area of teaching or leading, you know, we want to be involved in the theological interaction and in preparing those lessons, that's great. That's what, the church needs that. But never think you're too good for any ministry or that any ministry is beneath you. I hope no one here today ever thinks that working in nursery or toddlers is beneath you. I hope no one here ever thinks that being an Awana listener or helper is beneath you. I hope that no one here ever thinks that lifting boxes or loading trucks or um, stocking shelves at the Beacon of Hope is beneath you. I hope no one here ever thinks that being an usher is beneath you. Let us encourage one another to be servants of Christ, serving as part of his church using the spiritual gifts that he has given us. Second major area of encouragement. Let us encourage one another to be even more friendly and welcoming as a church. And I think this is a direct outflow or overflow, if you will, of using our spiritual gifts. Let us be a friendly, welcoming church. I believe that we are, but this is something, folks, we have to work at all the time. And this year, because September for most churches, especially at least in America, September kind of kicks off a new year. Most churches in America go according to uh, a church, or excuse me, a school calendar for the most part. And, and as we begin another year, I want to encourage every one of us to meet people, to reach out and meet people we don't know very well or have never met. That's what the, I want that to be your goal when you come on Sundays, to reach out and meet people that you don't know very well or that you have never met. And that, folks, this needs to start with the pastors, needs to start with the elders, and it needs to start with the deacons. We talked about this at our last meeting. But I want it to permeate every single person 
who is a member or a tender of this church. So I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. After the service on any given Sunday, who do you talk to and gather with? I just want you to take a moment to think about that. On any given Sunday, after the church service, who do you gather with and talk to? I would say for most of us, it is our family members and close friends. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of being the family of God. But I want us to reach beyond that. While you're meeting and talking to your family members and close friends, there are people you've never met walking by you and people who are brand new to this church that are walking by you. Our natural tendency is to talk to and gravitate toward those who are most, excuse me, most like us. And I want us to reach out to people who may not be like you, may not be like your particular social group. I shared this story with you before, so if you remember it, forgive me, I did this during the series on First Peter, but Ray Pritchard was for many years the senior pastor of a large church in Oak Park, Illinois, very healthy, solid Bible-teaching church. Uh, he's a prolific writer, and, and, and many pastors read his writings. Anyway, I tell you that because he received an email from a member of his church saying that their church, Calvary Memorial Chapel, said, our church is filled with cliques. And if you're not part of one of those cliques, you really don't feel welcome at our church. And this is how he responded to the person. He said, you're right. Our church is filled with cliques. And we need to work on that. He said, we need to work at getting to know and meet people outside of our little groups. But then he said this. He said, every church in America has cliques and has to work at this. So the next time you say, I think First Baptist or some other church is full of cliques, Remember this, you're right, and you're the problem, and I'm the problem, and we're all the problem. We have to work hard to intentionally go outside of our little group of friends and acquaintances. Now, some people say to me, well, I don't want to go up to someone because maybe they've been here for a long time. Maybe they're not even new to our church, and I just want to say to you, that's okay. And I want this to start with me. Let's just go ahead and embarrass ourselves, okay? Let, let's be willing to do that, to be a friendly church. Let's just go out there and embarrass ourselves um, and, and really get to know people. I was sharing with the deacons and elders a, a wonderful story I heard one time at a conference from John Piper. And he was, for many years, the senior pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in, in Minneapolis. And this, again, you'll need to understand here, it's a, a large church in, with multiple campuses but he tells the story of he went up to a couple in his church he had didn't he didn't remember ever seeing them before hadn't met them before so he went up and introduced himself they introduced themselves to him and he said oh how long have you been coming to Bethlehem and they said five years and uh, he said oh <laughs> and he said his first thought was well this is a little awkward it's a little embarrassing. I'm the senior pastor here. They've been coming here for five years, and I don't even know them. But then he said he had this thought. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. I've never met them. I don't know them. I wanted to meet them and to get to know them. So if you walk up to somebody and they said, they say, I've been coming to First Baptist for two years and you've never met them, it doesn't matter. Get to know them, um, reach out to them, and, and let's really work at being a friendly church. Tom Rayner is another name that I've mentioned a number of times. He's the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. He's kind of a pastor to pastors. We read his blog on a regular basis. And what I really like about his ministry is they consistently survey churches. They're in hundreds of churches every year. And they survey visitors. They survey unchurched people and what they look for when they come to visit a church. Now, what they said is in, in their analysis, the number, the, the main thing that visitors look for when they come to a church is twofold. Number one, they look for good signage. They want signs that clearly tell them where to go or people who help them to know where to go. If they need to take their child to a Sunday school class, they want to know where to go. But secondly, they consider a church friendly when people are naturally friendly and welcoming. Naturally friendly and welcoming. Now, what I'm about to say is probably going to step on some toes here, so I will say this as kindly as I can. According to their research, the number one thing that visitors hate when they come to a new church is to be singled out during the service. In some churches, they have visitors to stand and say, oh, there's, here, look around, here's the visitors. I've been in churches like that. Tom Rainer said visitors hate that. The other thing is, visitors, this is, and I just read this this week, they hate what has come to be known as meet and greet, where everybody stands and turns around and talks to each other. And the reason they don't like it is because to them, it comes across phony, fake, and forced. They said even they appreciate greeters, people who have little greeter things on here, and we have them here, so I'm not against it. And they appreciate greeters, but they feel like that's their job. They're supposed to do this. They love churches where they come, and people are just very naturally friendly and kind to them. So I'm going to suggest three things for us. First, when you come to church, when we come to worship together, smile. Number two, convey the joy of the Lord. And number three, be intentional. This is something we all have to work at. It's not easy for most of us to do this. Now, I know when I say something like this, some people are going to react. Well, I want you to know, Pastor, I'm not going to put on some fake smile when I come to church. I'm not going to pretend everything's okay when it's not. I hate those Christians, they say, who come to church, put on their fake smile, they argue in the car, then they walk in the church, and they pretend like everything is okay. Hey, I'm with you. Okay, I understand. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am asking, no matter what you're going through, even in your deepest trials and suffering, to convey the joy of knowing Jesus. I was listening to a sermon online where a pastor was saying that there is a man in his church, and probably every church has people like this, who is just always critical and always negative. And so the pastor said that he really tries to reach out to this guy and encourage him. 
And he said, one day this guy walks in and pastor said he walked up, gave him a hearty handshake and said, how you doing, brother? He said, oh, at least I'm walking upright and I'm breathing. <laughs> he said, I guess I'm okay. And you know, we all got to be careful that we don't drift in that direction. Have you ever thought, we are the servants of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you ever stop to think that we are the New Testament ecclesia? We are the church, the ones who have been called out of the world to belong to Christ, to be ambassadors for Christ, to show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Do you ever stop to think we are the people of the risen King? Do you ever stop to think, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us? Is the best we can do when we come to a worship service to say, at least I'm standing upright and breathing? Oh, let us encourage one another to be even more friendly and even more welcoming as a church. Well, I want to close this morning with an example, a caution, and a challenge, and then we'll be done. First, an example. There is a couple in this church. There are others that I could name. There is a couple in this church that exemplifies in a wonderful way everything that I have been sharing with you this morning, and that is Bob and Sue Smith. Bob and Sue Smith, unfortunately, are going to be moving to West Texas, unfortunately for us, not for them. Unfortunately for us, are going to be moving to West Texas at the end of October to be with two of their adult children. Bob and Sue are now in their 70s, and this is a move that they feel is best for them, and, and I know it is. But I want you to know something. They have been members of First Baptist for almost 29 years now, and they have been some of the most faithful servants this church has ever had. And we praise God for them. You know what I appreciate about them? All those years, they have been involved in more ministries than I could even name. Faithfully serving. They're still serving. They could have said, we're moving in October. Let's take a break. But they're still serving right up to the end. And last time I talked to them, they're already trying to think of what they can do when they get to their new church in Texas. Bob and Sue Smith would never say, I've done my time. They would never say that. And while other people are giving excuses and reasons for not being involved, they have just faithfully served. And my prayer is, is that we will have people who will rise up and take their place. That we will have people who say, I want to be like Bob and Sue. That's the example. Second, I want to give you a caution. The caution is this. Sometimes we create false dichotomies. A false dichotomy is when we take two things that are meant to be in harmony with one another and we pit them or oppose them against one another. Sometimes I hear people, people say this, excuse me, the reason I'm not involved at First Baptist is because I'm involved in a Bible study at my work or with some people out in the community or I'm involved in a small group outside of the church or I'm uh, doing a service project outside of the church, therefore I don't have time to serve as part of the church. First of all, let me say, if you're, if you're in a Bible study, if you're in a small group, if you're doing a service project outside the church, praise God. Keep doing it. But let me say this to you. 
your involvement out there was never meant to be a substitute for or a replacement of your involvement in the church. These are not in opposition. They are in harmony. Your service in the church then extends itself to service outside the church. The vast majority of New Testament commands are written to specific churches in specific locations. The Bible knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian out there doing his or her own thing. So I caution you with that. Finally, a challenge. This is a church that loves world missions, and I, I praise God for that. And we're going to continue to emphasize that. Last week we had Kent and Jenny Schaefer, our missionaries to Mozambique, Kent preaching in the morning, Kent and Jenny sharing their ministry at night. A wonderful day. But when we send them out, we want them to plant churches all over the world. We want churches in Mozambique and in Togo, West Africa, and in Indonesia, and in, in, in uh, Southeast Asia, in Brazil, all over the world. We want our missionaries to be planting churches and to help those believers to come into those churches and to be involved in those churches. But folks, sometimes I think we expect more of the believers over there than we expect of ourselves here. Yeah, it's great for them. John Piper has a wonderful thought on this. He says this, and I've held on to this for many years. He said, if the church is so wonderful and so amazing, and it is, if the church is so wonderful and amazing that we want to export it to the nations, then we better love the church and be involved in the church right where we are. If this is so great, that we're going to spend thousands of dollars to send out missionaries to establish churches, then right here, wherever we are in a local church, we better love the church and be involved in the church. So I wrap it all up this way. Let us strive to be mercy-saturated, Christ-exalting servants who serve with the joy of the Lord, who serve a risen Savior. Let's pray together. Father, help us as a church. Help us to be servants. Help everyone here, every single person, to use their spiritual gifts to serve as part of Christ's church, to serve him by serving others. Father, help us to be a welcoming and friendly church. Lord, help me Help others to get to know people we don't know very well or we've never met. Help us, Lord, to reach out to those. God, help us to be filled with your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.